0: Guys, so much for listening and for joining us on this specific journey. Stay tuned; a lot of good stuff coming up. All right, so I want to
1: dive back in. Um, you and I spoke on the phone a couple days ago, and you were telling me about a story. I think it was like relatively recent. Uh, father and his son were out on a side by side somewhere out in the western Utah County, I think it was. And
2: yeah, um, it, it was actually almost twenty years ago, but. A father and son went out in, uh, out near Mesita. It's out towards Eureka, along that face on the southwest side of Utah Lake. And their machine broke down. So, and, and um, it was early spring, I think. You know, there's no snow on the ground. But their machine broke down. And we were dispatched to locate a man and boy that were overdue. Um, my on my truck, the fan belt disintegrated in Santa Quin. So I got in with another another one of our SAR guys. And and when you think about it, sometimes things come together that make a difference to the rescue that you're not planning on. You didn't think about it, but things come together that make a difference in the rescue and you know, act of God, whatever you want to call it. So I'm in the, my SAR buddy's vehicle. So I'm another pair of eyes now for him. And our assignment was to go in on Chimney Rock Road and, um, search South. And another team was searching North along the Chimney Rock Road and we're we're going in. It's it's the old route into a Nutty Putty Cave, if you know where that's at. So we're we're going in. It's it's about midnight, one in the morning, and we we're following the road. And the road there's a, some farmland to the left, some fences. We made a wrong turn, but we had been going slow, and we had our windows down in case we heard a yell. And we made a wrong turn and went into a field and we're going to turn around in that field. And as we were making the turn, um, the lights lit up um, out into the field. And at the same time, we, we heard a yell. And uh, so we're, the lights went over and I could see a, we could see a man coming across the field. And so then we turned and drove to, drove to him, and as we we're approaching him, I, 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 my heart just sunk because he's carrying this boy over his shoulder, his feet are dangling down around his belt. The boy's head is off his back, and in the cold and um, the uh, the boy's bare butt was sticking in the air, and it was below freezing out. And the, the father was just stumbling across the field, and so immediately went over and pulled the boy off. And the driver took care of the, of the man, and I started working with the boy. And I, first pulled him off and go, "This kid's dead," and uh, and as I picked him up and rolled him over, his eyes kind of rolled up in the back of his head, and I thought, "Listen, we got a chance here," and um, we um, put. Heat packs in his his groin, wrapped in you know clothing, so we don't burn him or something. But we put uh, heat packs in his armpits and his groin, and and you could just kind of see the warmth seep back into his body. He was probably, if I was to give a guess, I'd say he had a body core temperature probably around eighty-seven, based on what he was doing, and uh, we gradually warmed him up and. He, it was like a little wand, a magic wand, come and touch somebody, you know, you're you're good. And so pretty soon he's talking to us, and Dad's the same way. And um, we're transporting the father and son to, um, I think it was Alberta, where the family was. And we, we said, you know, what happened? He goes, oh, he says the machine broke down. And he says, I could see some lights, the highway lights, which would be, what is that? It's our 70, uh, 68 running along the lake. He says, I can see car lights. And I says, well, what time do you think it is? And he says, oh, it's seven at, seven at night. You eight you at night? I go, no, it's one in the morning. And he said, I've been carrying my son for, and you know he still was a little confused. <clears throat> he says, yeah, I've been carrying my son for about six hours over my shoulder and he said he says i don't think we could have made it another 20 minutes so you know it's we do this volunteer it's um something i almost get addicted to um it's it's what i enjoy doing i enjoy solving problems um back when i said you know you're giving a toolkit where you learn all these skills and then you're given a, a team and then you're given an assignment and it's putting all that together into something that will make a difference and, in uh, you know, um, what's that saying, you know, if you make the difference in the life of a child, all the other stuff is a wash and that it's so true. Yeah, you
1: said in one of your first stories um, that your wife was kind of upset once when you got home. I think it might have been the Y Mountain incident. That must have been earlier on in the search and rescue career, and you said you thought maybe she wasn't thrilled about you doing this. Is that still the case, or has she come around?
2: She's given up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, when we were first married, she... Buy me a tie or a new shirt for Christmas or birthday, and now she buys me SAR equipment. You know, I've, I've, I've finally. She knows what's important, and um, you cannot do something like volunteer SAR, and not have your significant other part of your team. It just, I've had SAR friends that do it for four or five years in their spouses not willing to share you, not willing to, you know, that's a significant drain on your family income. Um, I don't know, 10 years ago, I got a wild hair and started totaling up what I'd spent doing search and rescue. And it was up close to $200,000. You know, you think about the vehicles and I'm a gadget geek. You know, I've got snowmobiles. I have got ATVs. I've got a hovercraft. I've got trucks, and everything is all set up for. You search used to have an risk. army mule. <laughs> uh, yes, I used to have an army mule, but you, know, I enjoy the outdoors, and I'll take this equipment, and and you know, every once in a while, I'll just take it out for fun, and that's that's training, and uh, you know, in the, in the OHV community, if I. Go down and do all the trails in Moab. There's nothing that will come close to that in Utah County. It just builds that confidence factor. That when you oh I've been here before, I've been in far worse. You know I can I can do this, and uh, that's what I enjoy doing is applying that that tool set to a situation. I know a non-engineer might kind of laugh at that, but that's what it is. It's training, it's the tools that you have on hand to solve a problem. That's what engineers like to do.
1: Yeah. Now there's a, I appreciate you bringing up the cost to you personally, both financially and just the cost to a family life and other things. I think a lot of people don't think about that, that most search and rescue professionals in this state are volunteers they're doing it just to help Mm -hmm. um there are a few professionals and usually that's going to be people within a sheriff's department or somewhere that that's Mm -hmm. their other job that's one of their duties is to come out and do these things so they get kind of strapped thin from their law enforcement responsibilities to also do this um i mean at least in some of the counties i've talked to Mm -hmm. down south where they're i mean utah county has a lot of a tax base and resources you get to somewhere like garfield county where the there's no property taxes because there's no private property. It becomes a different challenge for them. You don't think about when you get into one of these situations, all of the costs that have got into what a rescue involves. And a lot of times those can get into the thousands, thousands, and even more if you're getting into yeah. the aircraft and the things like yeah. that. Um, I know the state has a. An insurance product of some kind where if you buy a backcountry insurance mm-hmm. product I think it's like 35 bucks or whatever then the they'll count they'll cover the cost of a search and rescue if you ever need one in my mind that seems like a no-brainer that anyone who's going out and if you're if you're gonna start checking off Chris's boxes of going alone <laughs> going in bad weather going without the right equipment not telling people where you're going then you should at least have that insurance product uh, to back you up and I know there's also other devices and things that come with that look at
2: your look at your vehicle registration down at the bottom of that register there's a box that says donate a dollar to SAR or uh, i go to amazon prime and you can set up so that that is supporting you they support funds and you can put in utah county SAR And there's lots of little things that that, uh, help us, um, we, since we're all volunteers, um, we, we're always looking for sponsors. Uh, Adobe has been an incredible sponsor for us. You look at us on the mountain and we're all wearing the same helmet, the same coat. Um, Polaris has given us watercraft you know, they'll, we'll use it for a year and then they'll take it back and sell it. Um, those kinds of of expenses are crazy. You know, the sheriff's office has got six or eight uh, jet skis now doing that kind of principle. We've got six or eight snowmobiles. Um, before they did that kind of thing, it kind of fell upon we as members, if you could afford it to, to buy and buy that stuff personally. And um, yes, as an engineer, I like toys. Yeah, so- I've
1: noticed your vehicles are always <laughs> modified. Yeah, you, you had some enhancements to them. Uh, Lana, I know you're a tinkerer. You like to engineer your own things, and so you look at if you look into Chris's truck or his side by side, it'll have. 18 antennas coming off it, a handful of cameras, GPS devices. I and mean, you definitely like to go into the back
2: country yourself, well-equipped. Yeah. I've uh, just, f- I've had, um, see, three trailers that I have designed to go behind an ATV that are less than 40 inches wide for bringing um, people out of the back country. Uh, my first one was essentially a heavy-duty trailer that um was 38 inches wide would hold a litter and basically all it was ever used for is hauling bodies out of the back country we never brought out an injured victim on it since then i've built two more um we've used them in training but the majority of the time we fly out a patient um, my trailers have been used to haul equipment um, I just finished one last week that is, has a full suspension system for people that can ride on the trailer or it can switch to haul a litter. I can haul two people or a person in a litter or two litters. It all changes um, very quickly with just removing some pins. And you engineer these yourselves, right? Yes. You kind of just make them up and... (laughs) Yeah.
1: Patents pending or something? No,
2: I took some ideas I had for a litter to a patent attorney. He says, well, he says the patent fees for that would be about $10,000. And somebody would just have to change it a a small amount. And they'll do it anyway because you know you don't have the money to fight it. So he says, you might as well just not even worry about patenting, you just just build what well, you we want. We could
1: start a little patent troll yeah. industry on, on that country, litter transporters behind it.
2: I've designed litter systems. We have um, these wheel litters that we use. Uh, Cascade Litter makes them. And we use them all the time, almost on a weekly basis. When you consider we're doing 100 to 120 rescues a year. And so that's what, two rescues or so a week. But it's not like that. Uh, June, July, and August um, kick our butts. Um, last week we had, I think, um, six rescues in 24 hours. Wow. We had four rescues almost simultaneously going on. As one was finished or one was being worked on, another one came in, and so we have teams spread all over the county going in to access uh, somebody that's called 911 or needs help.
1: Yeah, and that's, to be honest, that's the big reason why I see a need for more content like what we're producing today is there's just so many people yeah. going out into the outdoors here around the populated areas in Utah. and. Your resources are only so many, even with all the volunteers, even with your great engineering prowess. <laughs> <No>. uh, <It's laughs> at just some point, we can doing. overwhelm the system if people aren't going into it uh, with as much education as they can possibly yes. get. Um, so you've talked a little bit about some of the things that are helpful for especially if you're in a side-by-side or an OHV, a motorcycle, an ATV, some sort of a motorized form of recreation that gets you, uh, that's a different form of outdoor recreation. comes with its own risks and challenges and benefits. Um, So I just bought my first side-by-side a couple months ago, and so I came into it pretty green. Um, I would say if you were to look at the things I go out into the country with, you'd probably be like, oh, you're missing some stuff. Um, what if, for somebody who's a new side-by-side owner, I mean, I know the, the dealers can't keep these on the lots right now. Mm. So the number of people that are getting into this lifestyle and this sport is extraordinarily high. There isn't a lot of education. There isn't an the equivalent of a driver's license where you go and learn some of the things you need to know. And there certainly isn't, I mean, there might be articles and things on the internet if you go looking for it. Yep. Um, but what are the things that you're like, if you're just getting into this, Here are the things you've got to have. I mean, the things I myself bought was a tire repair kit and a thing to blow up a tire in case I needed to and to be able to adjust my tires to the different kinds of the terrain. First aid kit I have, I mean, I always will bring out a lot of water. I always pack in. I have one of those Life Straw water filters, really small, can fit just about anywhere. But that means as long as I can find a water source, which isn't always the case in Utah, especially during a big drought, um, at least I won't have to worry. I can at least get water. Uh, You've talked about fire starting, you've talked about the emergency crash bag or whatever, tools, I mean, what have we missed? I mean, what are some of like the, Chris's bag of essential gizmos and gear and components?
2: Yeah, um, a shelter. I have, um, about a 10 by 12 tarp that is just part of the gear that I carry in my machine. You can do a lot of things with a tarp, you know, whether it's laying on the ground under your machine to do repair or to make a, a lean to, to protect you from the wind or like the rainstorm I was in a couple of weeks ago, you pack it around you and tuck it in around you. And then um, you can bring up, like I had a, a, rain shield alongside of that, brought the tarp up alongside the of my head so that I could, so the wind wasn't beating me and driving the rain into my face. Um, we got up on, we were up on Thousand Lakes, our, our riding group, and it was 20 of us and we got caught in a horizontal snowstorm and the majority of them had, The ones on side-by-sides, I mean, on ATVs got beat up bad, but um, we tucked the tarp around us. And when you think about it, that firewall for the motor is right behind your seat. And when you tuck that tarp in around your seat and your feet and come up around your chest and necks, that heat from the engine, it'll drive you out of underneath that tarp. and the and, uh, one the everybody on the side by sides all had uh, ponchos and luckily they were some pretty good ones and you know where where you can put them put the hood up over your head and bring the the front of the poncho down and be sitting on it because the snow and rain will actually form a pocket in your crotch on the seat and it, it's not very comfortable and it just some little things. If you can stay warm, you can endure quite a bit. It's when you become cold and hypothermic, like that father and son, you no longer think clear. You're 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 making poor decisions. You can you know I've been on Timp on a, a father and a family that are up there, and the father is coming down the mountain, and the kids are struggling, are on their own strand, you know, strung out for 50 feet behind him. He no longer knew where his kids were. And and he, it, it was all, he, he was trying to get off the mountain. The last kid was a, just a toddler and we put him in a backpack and, and brought him out. They, the, the mind, you start getting down 85 to 90 degrees and your brain no longer works. You're cramping up. You're nothing. Your muscles no longer work, and so you can do a lot if you're warm, and hydrated. That's the big, the big thing.
1: Yeah. So, I'm assuming in Utah County, I mean, it sounds like your a lot of your high risk rescues have involved cold weather exposure. Uh, I live in Southern Utah, where we probably get. Just as much of the heat exposure, people going out into the desert and not being ready for an extended period of having to be out in the sun and the heat. Have you have you have experiences with those up here as well from time to time, or is it mostly the
2: It's actually a combination? We can be um, warm here in the valley floor. You it's 70, 80 degrees and you go up on the back of Timp in shorts and tank top in your, in the winter, um, they, they go, oh, it's great down here. I can go for a hike. And like that family that I talked about, they're wearing tank tops and shorts in snow and hail. And, you know, that, that cold, the hypothermia that sits in, you know,
1: yeah, and sometimes being in in a motorized form of recreation gives you even a different oh, level boy. of increased confidence. You think, "Oh, I'm in a vehicle; I can always get back somewhere. Um, I've got a heat source in the engine; I can you can open up do- the vents and have some airflow coming in to cool me off." Yeah. But that can also, I mean, one of the things we talked about ahead of doing this show is that sometimes our technologies give us an overconfidence.
2: And it, I think, it is. I'm not going to say what my generation is, but the younger generation. He's a millennial (laughs) for everyone listening. (laughs) Right in that target demo there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, uh, back when I grew up, you never went in the background country without a, some kind of pack and being able to, to uh, take care of yourself. Um, More and more, I'm seeing the younger generation, I've got a cell phone. Um, I can get on that and and and, and they'll come help me. Um, there, there's, well, let me let me give you an example. Four kids wanted to go into the hot pots in Spanish Fork Canyon. It is, I think, it was like November, and. They got on Google Earth. They saw some story on the internet about three forks, hot pots, and they wanted to go there. And so they got out Google Earth on their computer and they figured out where they needed to go. And our um, initial call came in with somebody on a cell phone saying they're, they're lost and they're huddled in the snow in coats and they were trying to reach the Three Forks hot pots. They pinged their phone and it put them on Second Water Ridge, which is the ridge overlooking the hot pots pots, down about 800 feet. And so um, we have snowmobiles, we have ATVs, I had put tracks on my, my side my side by my side, and the thing about snowmobiles is you go in on pavement, and it rips up the tracks, it uh, overheats the hyphaxes on and melts down the the plastics on your snowmobile, and it destroys skis, and then uh, and then when you get to the scene, you're now in the snow. So if you've gone in on ATVs, the tires are great on pavement, but as soon as you get there, it's it you know, it's a lock gate. And as soon as you get there, now you've got to switch to um tracks or your ski in or something like that. And since I put the tracks on my side by side, I had kind of the the best of all worlds. And um and one of my SAR buddies that um, was coming out of the canyon says, "Yeah," he says, "I guess he was an ex-SAR buddy at that time." He says, "I heard the call. Do you want me to come?" And I said, "Please," because I was the only one in the organization that had tracks on their machines. And so the two of us went in, and we navigated to the ping on the phone, and we found them on the ridge on Second Water Ridge. And if they had been in any other spot than where they were, their cell phone would not have made it to the tower at Sheep Creek, the cell phone tower at Sheep Creek. And they would have probably died there that night. They were in early stages of hypothermia. There was two boys and two girls. And we we, we warmed them up. Then we put, um, I took the boy that was the best condition on the back of my machine. Then we put uh, the two girls in uh, the back of um, the side-by-side. We we did a combination of heat packs and then wrapping them up in tarps and blankets in in the back of the side-by-side. And then the boy that was in the worst shape we we put him in the passenger seat of the side by side and we shuttled him out and then went back in and got our our other uh, sar guys who were on uh ATVs and 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 uh that we had left so we could haul the kids out and about a year later i was in a restaurant and uh this guy came up he says you don't remember me do you and i said no and he he said, remember mm-hmm. the four kids of Sheep Creek? He says, I'm one of those kids. He says, you saved our life that night. You know, that's what makes it worthwhile doing. They, they would have died there that night. They had a lot, number of lucky things that they did. Um, they had actually separated, which is not good, but they'd left a note in the snow for the second team that says, we went this way. And so there was an arrow, and we knew where they had left the road and started hiking. It was for their friends, but it it helped us. The fact that they were able to get a cell phone call out, great. You know, we didn't really have any air support on that. We knew where they were, and we we were able to go in and get them and shuttle them out. It's—they were just lucky.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like that— the cell phone thing, I've always noticed myself when I'm out off the beaten path and away from the cell phone towers, a lot of times you can get signals in certain places. And I always try to take an inventory mentally of where those were in case I ever needed to yeah. come back. I know what my, the distance is between where I last that cell phone coverage. When I pay attention to that, I don't know if other people do. Uh, certainly, they make devices nowadays like the Garmin inReaches and yeah. some of these where you have a satellite communication ab- capability and you can send out a distress signal. And a lot of times those will... Uh, have you ever been on any of those rescues that have been the result of a distress signal from one of these satellite devices? Yes. yes.
2: Um, I have a spot. I've had it for, I don't know, eight or ten years. And uh, this last week, I ordered a uh, an inReach because I do um, communications and medical for the Moab 240, and they're all using um, the spot, and so we track all the runners, and it it became more imperative that I use that, and the rest of the command structure for communications and transport and medical, the ham radio operators use the in-reach, and so I have both. but, yes, it's more and more common we are given g p s coordinates of someone's in distress um some of them carry the the spot or something like that, and there's an app on cell phones that does something similar, and we will navigate to a a location given those coordinates to assist somebody. So would you
1: say that those are kind of mitigating the risk of if you're somebody who likes to go out and be alone, and if you have one of those, are you in a safer position or is this a, do you feel like people should always be using the buddy system or what a-
2: I, I'm sorry, I'm old fashioned. I use the buddy system, um, but it's another tool, it's another tool in your backpack that could make that difference you know if if you tip your machine on your side on its side and you're now trapped and your cell phone is on the dash you, you it's not not going to really do you any good you know you're you're but if you have another machine with you or there's somebody else in the machine with you now now you've now you've made it and you know, you just, one of my first calls on SAR was for a missing log cutter. We went up the mountain and found his truck. We went around the other side of the truck and you could see where he had tried to get into his truck. He had with his chainsaw was cutting wood and it evidently kicked back and cut his leg. And, uh, he severed his femoral artery. And, um, he bled to death getting into his truck and, you know, if there was somebody else with him, he might have been able to put on some pressure to stop the bleeding or to help get him out. You know, you know he'd, he'd have to be with his family now.
1: Yeah, I, I bring that up because I know that for the people who are new Getting into some sort of an off-roading sport, uh, I've had the chance to go out with a lot of different group rides and things because, as a nonprofit that works with a lot of these different groups, it's just part of the work. And it just became apparent to me that one of the best ways to learn how to do the off-roading is to join one of these clubs or a group in your area. Go out. You, what you'll find is that most of these groups are. Run by people like Chris, a lot of them have a military background or some sort of an engineering background. Where I think they actually kind of get excited when somebody gets stuck or something goes wrong, and they get a, all come together and like solve the problem. How are we gonna get? How are we gonna get uh, Spencer out of the bind he just got himself <laughs> into? Um,
2: it's a matter of and it
1: starts to get you thinking yourself. of How do I start to think like that and think ahead and have the right tools for the right situation when I get there?
2: It's it's a. It's a thing about peace of mind, I guess. And you are more willing to have fun, enjoy the backcountry. If you know you have a problem, you can have there have people there to help you, or you have people in route to help you. You know, you. We have some of the most incredible trails in Utah, and if you don't go because you don't have the equipment or you don't go because nobody will ride with you, then okay, get a spot. But I have a very good friend, right? You've probably ridden with him. And he goes all over. He hunts big horn ram, but he carries a spot. And you know, okay, if you're gonna ride by yourself, do it something like that at least. You know, I've I've found bodies that have been out for six months, that made that decision, and you know, what a sad loss. Yeah. So. So have we missed
1: anything on the list? I mean, we've got a, I mean, we've talked about a, quite a few things. I mean, first of all, going out alone incredibly risky. Um, there are not, some. I mean, Chris's list of a checklist of <laughs> things that if. When you go out to a situation
2: where things are wrong I mean have we missed anything I mean what are some of the other well there's some really nice lists for that kind of thing on the internet you know just um survival kits side by side, and they'll you know you you they'll come up with twenty items, but I've hit the big ones you know some some kind of nourishing food um plenty of water, fire starter shelter a means of communication if you've got one.
1: And I would add for everyone that's with you, I mean, you, I asked you about the story about the, the father with his son. I mean, I've gone out exploring with my kids and making sure you have enough for their needs as well in an emergency situation in addition to your own is maybe something you don't quite think about. I mean, you think about making sure they have enough to get through the ride, but maybe not enough to get through a survival event.
2: I, I have friends that I ride with. And one of them wears shorts and thong, and flippers, you know, sandals. And I, 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 I go. What if you have to walk a distance or something? And he says, Well, I've got you guys. You know, <laughs> that's that's what we do when we go in out on a ride with a group. That's half the fun of riding with a group is the friendship that you share with all these other people that you ride with, and. Sure. If somebody is lacking in one area, you can, your friends that you're riding with will help you. And yeah. that's, that's kind of a big thing when you go out in, in the back Is you know, there's some people that really enjoy going out in the back country by themselves, you know, more power to them. My, my enjoyment is going out in the back country and sharing that experience with my wife and my other riding friends, you know, and, and, you know, I was up in the Thousand Lakes area the last no, week and a half ago. And what incredible beauty, um, that's up on Boulder Mountain, it's between Escalante and Torrey. You know, you're up in the Pines, you're in the, well, we were near the Roe Lakes, if you know where that is. Um, what a cool, really neat, cool experience out there with your friends. And, you know, it's it's not a knitting club. You're out there in the back country and, you know, sure you can sit home and watch it on TV, but doing it out there by yourself is what is what is fun for me. What I enjoy doing with my friends.
1: Yeah, well, I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit. I um, mean, you got into this 1976. Well, somehow you got sucked into it. Uh, there's a lot of people nowadays that um, I don't know how actively search and rescue teams recruit other people. Yeah. Um, but I imagine if there are people listening to this show, they might listen to you and say, you know what, that's something I could give back to my community and to this lifestyle and make a difference in people's lives. What would you say to somebody who thinks, you know, maybe I should help with search and rescue? I mean, what is, What is the skill sets you're looking for? What's the process of who would they reach out to? And how do you get that
2: training? It, it, it There is a process to it. I'm not sure about other counties, but we have uh, a, a process where we will, we call them new members. You know, the old word was probies, but that's not really nice, but we have a new member member, and we essentially, we give them a year to acquire the basic skills and we put them into a training system that goes alongside our normal training system. So we're training in the field once a month and have a training in a meeting once a month, but those new people are double that. So they're getting skills in rope rope work and they're getting skills in how to support the dive team. They're getting skills on what, how to support a canine tracker. Um, what's the basic things you should have for a search in a river? For you personally to be safe, it's just the basics. Um, how to handle an OHV for SAR. You know, there's some basic things we give them. And then at the end of the year, we put them through a scenario where it's essentially three days of just nonstop rescues where they have to apply their their knowledge and their training. So we'll take in 10 members in October. By the end of those 12 months for that test, we've lost half of them. They have said, well, this maybe is not what I want to do. The time commitment, the financial commitment, the family commitment is, and and, and work, you know, making that all work sometimes doesn't work for people. And, but then we, if they stick around that first year, then they're probably good for five years. And then so you that first group had ten people. after a year, there's five. Ten years down the road, you'll probably have two of that original ten that still say they they, they can do this it's it's a a person that is doing this is a driven person. I call them an alpha personality, whatever you want to call. You have to have a pretty thick skin and we have to go into it with that, that mindset. You know, you're, you're going to be, you may be told to sit on a rock for the first couple of command posts, you know, searches, but you know, they don't want to put you in a safe an unsafe situation. So you may not be involved in, but you will find that if you, you go into the sheriff's office, in in here in Utah anyway, I think most of them in this way, this is the way we are. And you go to the emergency services division and you say, I'd like to be involved in SAR. Um, you'll be interviewed like what we do for our and we'll accept 10 and you'll be put in this training program. And if you decide to stick around after that and, and then you can go into um specific areas that you want to do. You know, you can become swift water certified or you can become open water certified. You can become scuba diver, you know, advanced or rescue or recovery divers. There's so many things that you can go into canine, Um, but all our members are trained in the basics, but some will do specialty stuff in that same, but we all work as a team to, you know, some counties have just a dive team that don't have anything to do with the mountain team. We're different. We're all one team that has specialties, and I think that's, you know, we we may go up on the mountain on a rockfall victim, and be involved on a swiftwater rescue on the mountain to get that person, and so that that person has to have that same the mountain skill set and the swiftwater skill skill set together. And and we like that, it works well. All right, well,
1: I think that's all the questions I have. I and mean, you definitely shared with us a lot of great information, first-hand information of what we'd hope the listeners and those who go out and do these exciting, adventurous things out on our public land know. And we're, we'll obviously line up a lot of other guests like yourself, uh, you're definitely a good first guest to give us a taste of what the search and rescue life is like here in Utah. Um, so I don't have any more questions, but if you have anything else you want to add, just from your experience, this is your chance to kind of just tell people, maybe just don't be idiots. Uh, but you have a lot of experience. This is a, an opportunity to hopefully reach a lot of people. And maybe the information learned here saves one life leaves, helps one person stay out of a bad situation. I mean, what is the
2: final word you'd leave with it, this crowd? It, uh, for me, it was an addiction of a sort, Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can give money to, you know, uh, money to help the people that, you know, specific thing. And, but when that pager goes off, I know that at the other end of that is somebody that's either in trouble or somebody is in a situation where it is out of their control, and to be part of that team is what I enjoy. And if, when that pager goes off, the you know I I know at the other end of that is somebody that needs help, whether they need help or they it's out of their control. But you know, you, you do what you can do. It's fun. It's a great team. All right. It's
0: it's a situation where you're in an unlucky situation, but if you're lucky enough to see Chris in that, uh, (laughs) consider yourself on a good path to get out of there, right? It's it's the first good thing that's happened to you in the last little while. And like I said, at least for me, and I'm sure Ben feels the same way, him being out there and seeing all these different types of things, it's just a big thank you from the community uh thank you you had mentioned that you know by saving someone's life or by affecting someone it makes kind of all the bad stuff worth it which obviously carries its own reward but it doesn't hurt uh just to have some some kudos and praise from the community at large i mean utah is one of the most beautiful places i i feel like in the country to exist and to recreate but being able to have uh people shepherding those of us who go astray is is very, very uh, reassuring. So definitely a big thank you from all of us. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the
1: Defend Your Ground podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, we invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and also leave us a review if you enjoy what you're hearing.